right, well, if you would all grab your uh, Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 11. As always, the words will be on the screen behind me, but it's always nice, I think, to have uh, scriptures in front of you if um, something does come up that you'd like to look up or cross-reference or whatever. So, As we continue this, uh, this night in our series, uh, for those who haven't been here, we are in a series I'm entitling, quite simply, Who? Because we've gone through the Bible, uh, starting in the Old Testament and working our way through, and now we're in the New Testament and talking about somewhat smaller characters, characters that maybe we aren't real familiar with, or maybe we've heard their name, but don't know all the details about their life and who they are. And tonight, we come to a, a fun one. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Martha. Uh, we've all heard the story before from the reading, this, the, the, the first reading from Luke chapter 10, uh, of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and Martha getting worked up about all the chores. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard a pastor or someone say that we ought to be more like Mary, not Martha. We want to be Marys. We don't want to be Marthas. You know, we don't want to get bogged down in the details. You know, we've all heard this sermon before. Many of us have. And if you have, um, some of you who, who maybe think and see life a little bit more like Mary were really encouraged and said, yes, I'm one to sit at the feet of Jesus. But those of us who more resonate with Martha always felt a little bit bad. I always thought Martha was the bad guy, which is sort of true in that story. But there's always another side to the story. And tonight we see another story, just a little bit down the road, uh, that sort of clears up Martha's name, in my opinion. And so, just to sort of give you background with where we are, uh, here's what's happening. Jesus has heard that his dear friend Lazarus is sick. He's actually been told that he's very sick and that he should go right away. But he doesn't. You might think that hearing his friend, whom he loved so much, was very ill, he would pick up and go right away. But for some reason, in in the beginning of John chapter 11, he doesn't. He doesn't. We don't know the exact history behind their relationship and behind this family. But he was very close with them. This, here in our passage tonight, and then again in John chapter 12, they get together again for a meal at their house. Mary and Martha were, brother, or were sisters, and then their brother was Lazarus. And they were all very close with the disciples. They regularly met at their house outside of Jerusalem for meals and for meetings. We don't know much more, but we know they were close. And somehow, for some reason, Jesus decides to hesitate and not go there right away. One of the reasons we learn in, in, in chapter 8 and then in the previous chapter in John chapter 10, they tried to stone him. One of the reasons Jesus isn't rushing to get back to the Jerusalem area is because last time he was there, they were figuring out a way to kill him. They said, we need to get rid of this guy. You know, but as the story goes, we know what happens. Lazarus ends up dying. The story after we'll read tonight, Jesus weeps. And it's a story we're all very familiar with. Jesus then goes and raises Lazarus from the dead, and great things are done. You know, but what we're going to focus on is what happens right before that. I confess, as with many of these um, smaller characters we're going through in Scripture, for years I never paid attention to this reading. For years I never paid attention to this detail beforehand. I always focused on the miracle. Jesus rose Lazarus. It was so amazing. But something right before that happens is really amazing as well that I want to share with you. Also, if anyone here likes useless trivia knowledge, uh, I'd like to share with you one detail that I also like. Um, In this passage... 
there's a verse that many people attribute as the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Um, it, if you're going by word and letter usage, it's not. Uh, fun trivia fact, Job chapter 3 verse 2 in the NIV and then also in the NASB and a couple others is just he said. So it's only six letters, so it's actually shorter um, than Jesus wept. So if anyone ever says that Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible, tell them they're wrong. In English, Job 3 2 is the shortest verse in the Bible. So anyways, uh, moving on. Um, I just love that. Sorry, it's one of my favorites. Uh, we're in the story of Martha. And we know the story of Martha when she's fussing about the dishes and the chores. And we know how she gets mad at her little sister for not helping. Uh, but tonight we see a different side of Martha. Tonight we see a side of Martha that um, we should all be very envious of. So look with me, if you will, at John chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read verses 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. This too is the word of the Lord. So when they arrived, Lazarus was dead, as we, as we mentioned. Sadly, he had been in the tomb for four days. And people were grieving. All the people had gathered. They were in the home grieving. The Jewish term for this is called sitting Shiva or Shiva. And it basically is when someone has a loss in their family, everyone would gather around and they would mourn together. They would sit together. They would wail. They would cry. Uh, Actually, talking about Job as well, we see this in the book of Job when his friends sit around with him for seven days and don't say a word. They just mourn with him. And so here's what's happening. Everyone is sitting in the home. Everyone is crying. Everyone's mourning. No one really knows what to do. But then they hear that Jesus is coming. They hear Jesus is coming down the road and, and there's one person in the house who's angry and who's upset and can't sit still and can't wait to talk to Jesus. Our friend Martha, the one who loves having everything in order, just says, you know what, i, I got to figure out what's going on. i got to say my piece. And she runs out to ask Jesus, essentially, what took so long? In verse 20, Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and we have an amazing conversation. We have a conversation that's just between them with the disciples around as they walk up. No one else left the house. We all know people like this. I was thinking about what, what happens when we learn that someone has died or what happens when we learn that someone has passed away or that a tragedy happens. And there's sort of two kinds of people. There are those who mourn and those who cry. And then there are those who immediately want to talk to the doctor and find out what exactly happened. How did it happen? Or we hear of a tragedy in the news. Some of us mourn and, and, and our heart is heavy. And some of us want to know, well, how? Why? Why did this happen? I need an answer. I need to know. I have this framework and it doesn't fit. And I really believe that Martha ran out to Jesus because she just wanted to say her piece. She just wanted to say, you know what? And we see it in verse 21, obviously upset. 
if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, Jesus. It's that simple. Like, I'm sitting in there mourning with all these people, and she says, listen, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't be sad. We wouldn't be crying. We'd be rejoicing at a great miracle. What is going on? God, you could have stopped it. This is something we've all said before. Again, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's something in our own lives, whether it's someone dying far too young of something terrible, it's a perfectly normal human response. God, why didn't you? Where were you? This is something that's it's very human. We all get confused at the will of God, don't we? We know God can, but God doesn't always. And we don't get it. In this passage, this passage about Lazarus and, 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 and Jesus not rushing to, to heal him is one that always brings up this question for me. I have my reasons of why this is very, uh, it tugs at my heart, but, but it brings up this sort of question about the will of God often, I think. Why doesn't God? Why not faster? Why not then? Why not earlier? And so, if you're like me and, and, and the will of God is something that you think about or that you wonder about, I, I want to mention two things really briefly that might help you. Um, I, I'll put Martha to the side for a second. Um, and, and I just want to briefly talk about the will of God and why God sometimes doesn't when he can. The first thing we must remember as brothers and sisters in Christ is that God doesn't just see our picture. He sees the big picture. So when we wonder about why God does or doesn't do something, we are thinking in our time and in our circumstances. What God is thinking about is the circumstances of history. One, way, one other way to put it is that God thinks from tree to tree, from the tree in the Garden of Eden to the tree of life in Revelation at the end of time. God is working in, in a much longer timeline than us. And so we have to remember that God has a bigger picture in mind, one that we don't fully understand. There's a big, big plan that I cannot see and I can't understand. But I also know and believe the promises that even though I don't understand all of his methods, I do trust that in Revelation 21, when it says there will be no more crying and no more pain, that I believe that. And so the first thing I just want to mention when talking about the will of God is that, is that God is dealing with a much bigger timeline than us. And so sometimes our impatience comes from there. And the second thing I want to just remind you about the will of God when God doesn't do something we want him to do is that God grieves with us. That God feels the same hurt we do, even though he may allow or not act. This is the great thing about this passage when it says that Jesus wept. We know that even though he is God, even though he probably knew at that point he intended to raise him from the dead, Jesus saw the people mourning and it brought him to tears. That God, even though God doesn't when he sometimes can, even though bad things happen and we don't understand the will of God, I know and I believe that God grieves with us. So, so when you're pondering the will of God, when you hear a story like this and it makes you wonder about things in your own life, remember those two things. Remember that God is dealing with a much bigger picture than us and that when there's hurt and when there's pain, that God grieves alongside us. That God is there with us. So, back to Martha. Martha's gone out to the road and she's given the response that many of us would give Jesus in the same situation. Many of us at the loss of a loved one have said the same thing. God, why didn't you? 
But then we see something else. But then we see a second line that reveals the heart of this wonderful woman of God. She says, God, if you were here, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Yet, I know that if you ask anything of God, he'll give it to you. I know that if you ask God to do something, he'll give you whatever you ask. And we see a glimpse into her faith. We see a glimpse that she knows Jesus was a powerful man. She has seen his teaching. She's seen his miracles. She says, Jesus, I know you can change this if you want to. And so Jesus says something that would test any one of us in the same situation. He says to her, okay, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha's response is, well, I, I know. I know I'll see him one day. I know he'll, he'll rise again at the resurrection when we all rise again. It's sort of like when we pray for someone who's sick. Yeah, it, she, she's sort of preparing herself to be let down. It's almost like praying, well, Lord, if it's in your will, then heal this person. She's almost just kind of saying, yeah, Lord, I know I'll see him again. I know. I know. I think in her heart she probably wanted Jesus to do the miracle, but she might have just been preparing herself in case he didn't. I think she was just sort of backing off. And, I mean, really, truly. And she was like, you know, yeah, I, I know. I'll see him again at the, in, in the last resurrection. And then Jesus does something great. See, when Jesus talks with people, he's... I don't like to use the word sneaky with Jesus because it kind of has a bad, a bad connotation. But Jesus is sneaky. <laughs> it, when he talks with people in Scripture, he, he sort of waits and sees where they're at. You ever notice this? Like when he's talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, well, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law. You're a Pharisee. Why don't you tell me? You know, you, you, what do you think? What do you think? He's drawing people out and he's chatting with people. You know, he's being sneaky. And so here, Jesus is doing that with Martha. He's like, you know, your brother will rise again. She says, yeah, yeah, I know, at the last day. But then Jesus does something that's phenomenal. See, oftentimes when Jesus is dealing with people, he waits to see their humility. He waits to see their faith before he says something about himself or before he says. Because whenever he encounters the Pharisees, he sees their pride and he just gives them the law. He just gives them what they might want to hear. Just to, but when he sees humility in people, he gives truth. And so he sees something in Martha. He sees that Martha really gets it, and, and that something's changed inside of her. And I really think he sort of tests her. He says, okay, you really believe you're going to see your brother again? I'm going to share something with you that may be hard to swallow. Jesus then says, in verse 25 and 26, if you look, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? So he takes it away from Lazarus and turns it to her. He takes it away from the, the, the tragedy and the sadness. And he says this statement that requires a huge amount of faith. And, and I want to focus on this here for a second. Jesus uses what, he, it's essentially what we call an I am statement. He says, this is who I, I am, the resurrection of the life. There's only seven of these in, the, in all the Gospels where Jesus says, I am, and then follows up with something really big and really important. And this is one of those statements as Christians today, we cannot ignore. And when he said it to Martha, Martha could not have ignored it. She couldn't have said, oh, okay, yeah, maybe, I don't, yeah, and we can't do that with this. This is why, I mean, Pastor Doug said this a couple of weeks ago in the morning, the unique thing about this book is, is nothing else we read demands a response from us like this book. 
We read a newspaper, we think, oh, that's interesting, you know. I didn't know that. We read a really good book, and we think, oh, that's something to think about. We read philosophy, and we think, oh, wow, that's maybe a new way to see life. We read this book, and we read that a man who walks the earth claimed to be the resurrection and the life, and that if we believe in him, even though we die, we never really will die, because we'll be born again. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so offensive. It's so crazy Either Jesus was a lunatic, or he was who he said he was. Either he was a certifiable crazy person, or he was the Son of God. There is no real middle ground here. When he looked at Martha and said to Martha, listen, I am the resurrection and the life, do you believe me? She had to say yes or no. You can't halfway believe that statement. And, and, and sometimes, I just want to point this out, sometimes with difficult texts or with big statements like this, there's a dif- difference in translation, right? And so sometimes we try to soft, soften it up. Maybe some translations think, this one, there's no change. The NIV, the NASB, the ESV, even the King James are all basically word for word in how they translate this. Even the message, regardless of what you think of the message, says it pretty much the same way. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die. Do you believe this? It's all the same. It's all straightforward. Jesus was being very, very clear. And and Martha had to respond in the same way you and me have to respond. Do you believe this? If Jesus looked you in the eye and said this phrase and said this statement to you, you have to make a decision whether or not you believe it. Do you believe you will live forever even though you will die? Do you believe you will be born again? It's, it's for statements like this that we can't ignore Scripture. And it's for statements like this that people are either Christians or they're not. When people say that, oh, I'm kind of a Christian, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You can't sort of be a Christian. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm a cultural Christian. What does that mean? You culturally believe that Jesus was resurrected, but if you move to another culture, you'll stop believing it? It doesn't make any sense. And this is why, and I always will say this, and I'll I'll say it until the Lord reveals something else to me, that Jesus Christ was either a lunatic or the Son of God. He either deserved to die or he was the Son of God. Because this is insane to say that a human being is the resurrection and the life doesn't make sense unless it's absolutely true. So he looks at Martha and says, Martha, what do you think? Martha was always the bad guy. Martha was always, you know, don't be like Martha. Well, I'm going to tell you tonight, be like Martha. In verse 27, Martha looks at her Lord and says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah. It's so beautiful. See, her mourning, she's sad about her brother, and and there's a lot going on, but Jesus takes the conversation, looks at her in the eye, and says, this is about you and me, Martha. This is about our relationship. This is about who I am. Do you believe me? And because of her faith, Jesus gives us this chance to remind her what it's all about. It doesn't take away the sadness. It doesn't take away the perspective of loss. But Jesus reminds Martha what's most important. Jesus reminds Martha what's most important, and that is their relationship and who Jesus was. And what's interesting is as the story goes on, As the story goes on, Martha has just admitted this wonderful thing, and she has just said this thing publicly, this wonderful, beautiful thing. And the roles are sort of reversed. 
Mary, the one who we're supposed to be like, is weeping and mourning and totally misses this. She totally misses this interaction and, in fact, has the chance to do the same thing and misses it. If you look down at verse 33 in John chapter 11, it's talking about Mary. And Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved and troubled. And he said, uh, oh, sorry, I skipped it. I had the wrong verse, sorry. Anyways. Oh yeah, there it is. Verse 29. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had left him. Oh man, I totally lost my spot, sorry. Anyways, later on in the passage, forgive me, Martha, or Mary, has the same opportunity, and she goes to Jesus and says the same thing. Mary says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But there's no second phrase afterwards. There's no second phrase afterwards. But God can do, if you ask, God will do it for you. Mary was just sad. Mary was just sad and Martha went out and on the road and met Jesus and experienced this great conversation. See, there's much to be learned from Mary in the first reading, but there's much to be learned from Martha in the second. It's sort of like Mary is, is, is the emotional artist and Martha is the rule follower who likes everything in order. But we learn that that's okay. We learn, as, as, as Martha confesses Jesus as the Messiah, that she finally understands who he is. She's the big sister, the responsible one, always having to have the house in order to have everything put together, always helping with the dishes and the cooking and the cleaning, and while she sees her younger sister not doing any of it. But Martha learns from that experience. And in this situation, Martha goes out on the road and meets Jesus. And then what's great is later in John chapter 12, if you look at the first three or four verses, um, they have Jesus and his disciples back over to their house again. And it says that, that Martha prepared and did everything, but doesn't mention anything about complaining. And that's when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And they both sort of figured out their roles and what they were doing. See, Martha was not wrong in doing dishes and serving and doing all the right stuff in the first story. She just shouldn't have been complaining. And so she stopped and served happily, faithfully, confident of her role and who Jesus said she was. And I love this story, honestly, because I identify more with Martha. Some of you may see Mary and think, yes, I just want to sit at Jesus' feet. But if I can be 100% honest with you, I used to be very rebellious. I used to be one of those people who, if you told me to do something, I would say, why? I would say, prove it. I still do sometimes. But as I've grown up, I've sort of gone the other way to love rules and to love order and to love things being in the right spot at the right time. And if I'm completely honest, I would have trouble sitting at Jesus' feet if there were dishes to be done in the sink. The dishes drive me nuts. I do them right away. If there's dessert to get out, I will do the dishes, serve the dessert, and then do the dishes while people are eating dessert to make sure the dishes don't pile up too much. That's just who I am. And I read this story, and I always thought that people with that Mary-type emotional relationship with Jesus had something I didn't. I'm being honest here. I always thought that people who were really emotional and raised their hands and waved and swayed and danced and worship had something I didn't. I'm very left-brained. I, I, I like reading scripture. I'm, I'm weird. I like reading genealogies. I, I think the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew is so cool. And most people just skip it. See, I always thought people that had this Mary-type relationship with Jesus had something I didn't. But when I read this passage... And I see this connection between Martha and Jesus. 
I realize it's okay. Some of us sit at the feet of Jesus, and some of us are so OCD, obsessive-compulsive, that we have to run out and meet Jesus because we just can't wait to find out the answer. I just need to know. We are all given strengths and weaknesses. If I'm completely honest, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to pray and read the Bible. You know what? Sometimes I do it just because I'm supposed to, not because I want to. But that's okay. Because God is there. And because God has always been there. And whether Mary sat at home and, and God came to her, or whether Martha ran out on the road to God, God was there in both of the circumstances for both of them. And God is there for you. God is always there. God is always there ready to have an encounter with us. The main similarity between both sisters that we all should learn from is they went to Jesus. No matter how God made you, whether you're an artist in a free spirit, go to Jesus. Whether you're an accountant or a banker or you work with numbers all day in a cube, go to Jesus. Some of us are Mary and some of us are Martha and that's fine. What I've learned for me in my faith is not to pretend to be someone I'm not. If I pretend to have this emotional, sort of, you know, deep, heartfelt love for Jesus all the time, it just doesn't work. Sometimes I'm just too rational. Sometimes I'm too black and white. But God meets me there. See, if the whole world was with people like Martha, it'd be like Switzerland. All the trains would be on time, but no one would smile. And if the whole world was like Mary, Switzerland would be in riotous uproar because everyone would be 15 or 20 minutes late to everything. We need all of us. We need Mary's, we need Martha's. The important thing is God just wants us to come to him. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever questions we have, go to Jesus. Because he's there waiting. And he'll be gracious and he'll be compassionate. And if we're grieving, he'll weep with us. And if we're rejoicing, he'll rejoice with us. And it's so good, and it makes me so happy. Because sometimes I grieve, and sometimes I rejoice. And those of you who know me, and those of you who are getting to know me, sometimes I'm all over the place. And Jesus is fine with that, as long as I'm going to him. And tonight, we all have a great opportunity as a community to go to him. Tonight we have a great opportunity to come together as the church of Jesus Christ. To break bread. To have, well, juice, it's not wine. Together to remember what he did for us. That we can always go to him. That we can always go to him with all of our stuff. And see that he is the Messiah. That he is the resurrection and the life. And that's a good thing. You guys pray with me. Lord, thank you for the communion table. Lord, thank you for Mary and Martha. Lord, I confess I want to be more like Mary, but you know how you've made me. And Lord, when I just need an answer and I run out to meet you, I thank you that you take time to talk with me. Lord, for each person in this room, you know how you've made them as well. You know what their desires are. And Lord, you know how to best meet them. And so Lord, when they run to you, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, that you would weep with them, that you would rejoice with them, that you would give them peace, that you would give them wisdom, and that you would give them strength. Lord, to be Jesus for people who don't know you yet. 
Lord, to be Jesus for people who don't know how to run to you yet. Lord, to tell them that there is a a God who is the resurrection and the life and that they can run to you. God, give us the strength to live in the way that you have called us to. Let us be confident in who you've made us to be. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.